Okay, now we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Dada, with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again, and we are well on the road to WrestleMania 39 today, breaking down everything that happened over the last week across SmackDown and Raw. Undoubtedly a mixed bag this week in the world of WWE. We will discuss more of that in a minute. We need to kick off this show first with a reminder for all of you that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about so please, folks, stop making me ask. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King Adam Silverstein and Vintage Chris Vanini because on this show, we love the five. I happen to love the number five. So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop those five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, analysis, highlights, and so much more. You can get it all on Twitter at Getting Overcast. We have a big week of shows here in the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast universe. Of course, we are talking WWE today on the Tuesday show, our normal weekly edition. We will have a special show on Wednesday, which will be NXT and New Japan Pro Wrestling. We will be talking Mercedes Monet, Jay White, a little bit of Eddie Kingston as well, all from NJPW Battle in the Valley. We will also do a short preview for NXT Roadblock. And then Thursday this week, we will have an AEW Revolution Ultimate Preview. The plan as of right now is Vintage Chris Vanini will be along for the ride on that show this coming Thursday. And of course, Saturday, as soon as AEW Revolution goes off the air, we will have an AEW Revolution Instant Analysis Podcast. So four shows, one week. We are just kicking things off here at Getting Over. It's now time for me to officially welcome Chris into today's show. Chris, look, I'm not sure that everyone felt the way I did about WWE television this week, but allow me to go through it a little bit here as we kick things off. Friday, in terms of SmackDown, it felt like an episode where Creative was kind of just going through the motions. There's only four SmackDowns left before the go-home show, 24 hours before WrestleMania. And this Friday felt like WWE kind of spinning its wheels a bit, even taking a week off to some degree. The good news was, unlike the SmackDown before Elimination Chamber, this seemed to get the tag team and intercontinental title matches back on track. And then we go over to Raw on Monday. Let me start by saying the Grand Rapids crowd was horrific, like truly, truly terrible. They didn't make noise for anything except Cody Rhodes for the most part. But beyond that, look, we can't sit here every week and credit Triple H for booking that we like and then suggest like Vince McMahon or someone else is suddenly in charge of booking when we don't like it. But so much of what happened on Monday, it just straight up felt like someone else was in charge of the show. It came across like a total departure from the Triple H booking we've known and mostly loved over the last six months. There were three matches that had zero storyline relevance. The entirety of the Brock Lesnar MVP and Bobby Lashley Bray Wyatt segments were head scratchers. And there was nothing that happened, including a title change, 
that made it feel like a worthwhile investment of my three hours. It almost felt as if outside of the main event, they booked next week's shows and beyond on the road to WrestleMania and then remembered, oh shit, we got to put something on TV Monday night also. It was the first Raw that really felt like three hours in a long time. Judgment Day was backstage the entire night. That didn't help. Seth Rollins was forced to be with The Miz again. Kevin Owens was barely on screen for 30 seconds. Cody Rhodes had a great match, but it meant nothing and he barely spoke. How can you expect to put on a good show when you hide almost all of your top stars during a three-hour broadcast? I just struggled to make sense of like what the plan was Monday night. And man, the three WWE TV shows that we have gotten since Elimination Chamber, they have left a lot to be desired. This on Monday was the worst Raw in months, and I think it was the worst complete week of television, definitely in 2023, but in a long time. Look, if you told me Vince McMahon was back in charge of creative on Monday night, I would have been like, all right, that makes sense. Everything about Raw especially felt like an old Vince show. This was, (laughs) to me, by far the worst episode of television of the Triple H era. So much of it didn't make sense or didn't matter at all. Mm -hmm. And we are barely more than a month away from WrestleMania. This was inexplicable. This was horrible. Just a heads up that this episode is going to be probably very negative because it was a a, a pretty brutal, uh, uh, especially Monday night of segments. And all I could think about as I'm watching Monday Night Raw is, is Hollywood Hogan just saying, I'm bored, brother. I'm bored, brother. Just over and over and over again. I, I couldn't believe it. I was watching. It was it was a mess, and I'm stunned. And there has not been, as of recording, any report about Vince McMahon being back in charge, but I just kept thinking, like, it feels like Vince is back in charge. I don't know. It well, was bizarre. We, we can't just go to that. I mean, just because it's a bad episode of TV doesn't mean that Vince is back in charge. And I think... Looking ahead to next week, what we're getting on Raw, what's already booked, it's pretty clear he's not based on the number of matches yes, that I are announced, yes. the quality of the <laughs> matches, the, what's booked ahead for SmackDown on Friday. So, like, but I agree with you, like, you're not wrong where watching the show and I, I see that, well, this match is happening for no reason, and this match is happening for no reason, and this match went two minutes and 30 seconds, and the stars aren't on the show, and there's comedy all over the place. It's just like, who booked this show? Like, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, Triple H got the flu and took the week off and, like, Bruce Pritchard booked the show or something like that. I, I don't know. But again, we can't give Triple H, like, the excuse of, hey, when he when he's booking, it's great. And when it's not great, well, it's not him. It's probably someone else. It's not the case. Most likely, this was a Triple H booked show that yes. just yes. wasn't good. And, you know, I don't know for sure that it was the worst television show since he's taken over, but... It was definitely bottom three. And you're right. Like Friday night, I was bored. I, and I just kind of was watching. And I was like, eh, it's not really going anywhere. And they're not really pro- delivering what they promised and whatever. Monday, I was actively annoyed by what I was watching. Yeah. And look, the, the Grand Rapids crowd, shout out to the wonderful state of Michigan. Grand Rapids, that arena is where I went to my first uh, WWE live show uh, back in the day. The crowd was terrible, undoubtedly. It made a bad show worse. Mm -hmm. But there was also almost nothing to actually 
cheer for throughout the show. I, I, I think they really kind of snowballed on each other to make everything feel worse. That's true. There were enough moments that a good crowd would have made the show feel okay, where we'd say, hey, you know what? Raw wasn't great on Monday, but it could have been worse. But the combination of that crowd with that show just gave us a flaming pile of shit. That is one big pile of shit. Now, that one wasn't flaming, but I think you get the point. Uh, But look, you're right that we're going to be a bit more negative on today's show than we normally are. I don't think we're going to be crapping on the entire product all show. I mean, there there was a number of things, especially with the main storyline on SmackDown, the bloodline and, yes. and Sami Zayn and all that. And there were a couple segments in the good, the bad and the ugly that were legitimately good or at least borderline. But you're right. Uh, there are more negative grades, at least on my notes uh, for this week in WWE than any week thus far in the Triple H era. That is for sure. Yeah, let's get into it. Let's get into it, as the man said, starting off, as we always do, by sliding into the main event. This is the main event. All right. So we are going to contain the bloodline story uh, with the Usos, Sami Zayn, Cody Rhodes, the whole deal. We're going to contain it in the main event of today's episode. Smackdown opened with a fluffed up video package of Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens, including highlights from the segment we got on Raw last week and clips of them growing up together. Jimmy Uso then entered the arena saying he hasn't spoken with Jay since Elimination Chamber. They offered him the chance to speak face-to-face in the ring on Friday night. Later in the Bloodline locker room, Jimmy told Solo Sokoa that his relationship with Jay feels different than it did last week. Paul Heyman, who had a fresh dye job. I mean, this guy took shoe yes. polish there. <laughs> yes, um, I noticed He that suggested too. Solo stay backstage with Jimmy handling Jay on his own. Jimmy later was pumping himself up before the segment when Heyman showed him a text from Roman Reigns who said he would be on SmackDown next week, ready to handle Jay if Jimmy doesn't take care of it. So we move to the main event. Jimmy told Jay into the camera he will always be there for him, but he can't do it alone. Sami Zayn surprised entering through the crowd in his black hoodie, remembering that Jimmy was the one who first accepted him into the bloodline and actually helped make him an honorary oos. Sammy said that it made it hurt even more when Jimmy didn't hesitate to take him out at the Royal Rumble. Jimmy, of course, pointed out and yelled at Sammy that you're the one who made the choice. You forced me to go against you. Jimmy said family doesn't betray you. Sammy said family doesn't test your loyalty and manipulate you. Jay then appeared in the crowd with Sammy telling Jimmy there's a way out. Jimmy used the distraction of Jay for a blindside. Then when Jimmy took a second to call Jay into the ring, Sammy caught him blindsided with a halluva kick. Solo Sokoa ran down to clear the ring, and Jay never got past the barricade. Sammy looked at him and then ran into the crowd, and that was pretty much the way SmackDown ended. Now, the end of this was a little bit odd because both guys saw Jay, continued to talk, and then each got distracted by Jay, despite Jay not moving. He was basically just standing in the same spot. It definitely moved the story forward, no question, but only to a moderate degree. The confrontation made complete sense, with Jimmy digging his heels into the bloodline and Jay not rushing again to take a side. Plus, you had Sammy telling Jimmy obvious truths, only for Jimmy to kind of realize he's too entrenched. He's in too deep to actually leave. It was nice to see Jimmy be the focus of a story for once. That has almost never happened in this entire bloodline run. Beyond that, though, Chris, it did feel like a lot of moving in place. 
it, it, it was a minor step forward, but it was an important one. I'm really glad that they addressed the Jimmy stuff because you're right. We haven't had that and everything they said was true. Sammy was right. Jimmy always did have Sammy's back. We always focused on the relationship between Sammy and Jay just because Jay wasn't sure. And then he comes over the hug and, he, and he's with them. But Jimmy was always with them. Sammy Absolutely. was 100% in his right to be like, dude, what the hell? You always had my back. We were together. And at the first drop, you super kicked me and we're done just like that. Like I, I that was, I'm so glad that they addressed that and they addressed mm-hmm. it in, in the absolute correct way. And Jimmy was basically showed that like, look, I was just doing that for Roman. I was just doing that for the bloodline. You know, like I, I'm not, I'm not here thinking what's right or wrong. I'm just doing whatever kind of, you know, what Roman wants us to do. He, we, and so we're good. Like Jay was the one who was always unsure about it. So that was a very, very important thing to address as Sammy has a different relationship with everybody in the bloodline. And so, you know, we've gotten Sammy and Paul, we've gotten, uh, we're still working on Sammy and Jay. I'm really glad they did Sammy and Jimmy. The end of it was, was kind of awkward and weird, whatever, but I still thought this was a very, very solid, uh, segment and, and way to approach the story it was definitely one of what the two or best three things on wwe tv this week i think if not yeah, the best off the, off the top of my head it was probably number one yeah yeah may have been the best thing still even though it was moderate in terms of moving the storyline forward but that's also an indication of what i was saying earlier where it just kind of felt like wwe punted on the week where they're just like you know what we got four full weeks of build to wrestlemania this this week let's just kind of put some stuff on tv that's really what it felt like for me at least Yes, I, w- I would just say that, though, that this segment, I still think, had the most thought behind it and addressed and moved forward a story better than anything else on WWE over the weekend. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you could tell that, like, Heyman and whoever, maybe Triple H, uh, purposely booked this segment the way it went. But and, and that's one of the reasons why what happened on Raw, for me at least, was so disappointing, because Raw opened with a replay of the SmackDown main event for the most part before Jimmy and Solo entered the ring with Jimmy saying the bloodline isn't cracked, family fights all the time, the Street Profits interrupted for their match, which was announced before Raw. They sarcastically looked for Jay in the crowd, saying he was the only one ever keeping the bloodline together. And they also pointed out how Roman was absent once again. Jimmy shot back and they brawled and then we came back from commercial and there was a match. Profits against Jimmy and Solo. Montez Ford went on a run after a hot tag with a froggy crossbody. He caught Jimmy with a spine buster, but Solo sent Ford off the top rope when they tried a tag team finisher and hit Angela Dawkins with the Samoan spike for the win. The heels attacked after the bell with Sokoa wrapping a chair around Ford's neck. Kevin Owens intercepted a hip attack, running in, wearing a black hoodie, just like Sammy, for stunners on Solo and Jimmy, and that ended the segment. And then later backstage, Baron Corbin was being interviewed about his recent failures when he again got cut off, this time for Kevin Owens, who was walking behind him. Owens maintained his focus on the bloodline failing, again repeating he didn't want any help to make that happen. Now, this was almost completely antithetical to how Triple H has been booking recently. The match was set before Raw without any storyline reason. If they had waited, the opening segment and the confrontation could have set up a match. Adam Pearce could have come out, let's have the match. But they didn't do that, and it didn't make any sense why they didn't book it that way. Montez was finally back. Don't forget he missed Raw last week after Elimination Chamber. But the guy didn't say a word about his performance in the chamber. Neither did Dawkins maybe putting his teammate over. 
However, I will say WWE did show footage during the match, which was weird. And Corey Graves did put Ford over huge during that footage. Jimmy said nothing in his promo, and there was zero storyline development, even with KO stunners. I mean, the development was he ran in wearing a black hoodie, just like Sammy did. So maybe he's saying he's doing it on his own, and they're throwing a blanket over everyone's eyes, and they're actually together. It was just such a lackluster way to start the show, and it told me as a viewer, and I wrote this note after the first 30 minutes of Raw, and it, I didn't think it would be true through the end of the episode, but it was. That segment told me as a viewer, this is going to be a filler episode of television. Yes, I like the opening segment of Raw always sets the tone. And if it's someone delivering a promo and someone comes out to start a match, it's usually not going to be quite as good of a, a an episode of Raw because there's not a story that's going to be told on throughout the show. And so that's what we got here. The, the Jimmy promo again was nothing like what do you family fights all the time? There's no cracks. Like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, the, the story is that there are so many cracks, right? He, I, I know he's the heel or whatever, but it was just it was weird. The the, the 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 street profits didn't get much of a reaction for the stuff they were trying to do. Again, the crowd was was not great. Yeah. And you do the match. I thought the match was fine. I enjoyed the match. It was, it was, it was that part was at least entertaining. But with Kevin Owens, what, what that told me was like Kevin. Owen said last week that he's still fighting the bloodline, that he saved Sammy, you know, because of Sammy's family and because he's still fighting the bloodline. And this was his way to show that he is still fighting the bloodline. And that's it. I, I think that's basically all I took away from this was, was that. Well, that's all there really was to take away. But again, him running in and wearing the same clothes that Sammy had been, it's not, that's not a coincidence. That was done purposefully. Yeah, but I mean, like the idea is like, well, you could also make the point that, look, there's only two members of the bloodline at the show and because mm -hmm. they even said Roman's not there. And so why did Kevin Owens need to sneak in? You know, he probably could because Montez Ford was about to get his neck crushed. That's why. No, 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 I'm saying why I'm saying why did he sneak in with the hoodie and dressed up like that? As oh, opposed uh, to because they're that's what I'm saying, because they're drawing the parallels to what Sammy's doing. Yeah, I think they're I think they're try I think they're they're forcing to draw that comparison, but if you think about it for more than two seconds, it didn't exactly fit. But yes. I, I disagree. I, I think it's a group that's perceptive. I don't, and wait, they had the upper hand. Wait, no, I'm if, saying, if, he came, if if Kevin Owens came running down the aisle while they had a two on zero advantage because Dawkins was outside dead and Ford was in the corner dead, and he just ran in, he would have gotten his ass kicked two on one. So coming out of the crowd as a surprise and doing it in the same way that Sammy did. I think that was purposeful and I think it was well executed. I don't think it was the most exciting and enthralling, you know, development, but I do think it was notable. Well, well also, I guess Kevin Owens is technically a SmackDown wrestler, right? Although no, I guess, he's a Raw wrestler. He is, yeah. So, yeah. So technically he would be at the, I, I, I get what they're doing. I understand the connection they're trying to make. I don't think it's signifying that Sammy and Kevin Owens are secretly together. No, maybe not, just, but it's a parallel I, that I think is interesting. Right. They're, they're, they're trying to make you draw connections to that. Yes, I agree. Right. They're, they're show, what, what they're showing is not necessarily that they're together, although maybe you know it's possible that they came to terms, but what it's more likely is they're on the same wavelength. And yes. they're attacking the same way and they're taking care of business the same way. And theoretically... This week or next week on SmackDown, they will actually come together, hug it out, and decide to team up. Now, when that happens well, and how it happens, that's why we're yes. watching the product. We want to see. 
Yes, cool. Because remember, at Elimination Chamber, Kevin Owens came out with the music and came down the ramp. Like you know, he didn't come out of the crowd. You know, to to attack the sure. whole bloodline. So I, so I, I think that it was a different way for Kevin Owens to do that, and that's the wavelength connection they're making. Yes, sure. So the only other, I guess, related bit from Raw, we had Cody Rhodes against Chad Gable. This was another match that was announced before Raw with zero storyline relevance whatsoever. Cody hit an inverted superplex and a disaster kick before locking in the figure four. Gable came back with a great cliffhanger DDT and a moonsault for a near fall. But when he got called for Otis outside, he wanted some help. His guy was distracted, looking for Maxine Dupree in the crowd. Cody then went outside and put his arm around Otis, which distracted him further. And then that allowed Cody to throw Otis over the barricade. Then he hit a double jump Cody cutter off the top rope and crossroads with two consecutive incredible top tier expert level cells by Chad Gable. And of course, Cody got the win after the bell. Cody promised he would finally see Roman Reigns this Friday on SmackDown. Now this match and Cody got the biggest pop of the entire night. And really my only issue was that it had zero storyline relevance, just like the tag team match. WWE has done a great job setting up matches with backstage run-ins or at least Twitter comments or something. But again, this was just a fight that happened. It was well wrestled, 3.75 stars, B plus, maybe even a little bit better than that. It was entertaining. Gable looked really strong once again, even though it was a loss. And it was really tough to dislike what we got out of the segment. I just wish there was a little bit more storyline relevance. Yeah, Gable is obviously, and we said it last week, he's in the spot now where he is the high profile lose but make the guy look good when you're losing to him type of stuff which is fine i just largely don't understand announcing this match on twitter for no reason or social media on right before the show and wwe like does an hour this, yeah yeah wwe does this you know regularly sometimes uh, i just i don't understand what the do people suddenly turn in tune in because they saw on twitter that cody versus chad gable is going to be on like it, it's just like you're right that next week's show is largely booked out and that's how you should do it. And then you remind mm -hmm. people before the show, like, Hey, here are the matches we have coming up tonight. When you just like reveal, or when you reveal the street profits, you know, versus the versus Jimmy and solo before the show, before the segment, it's just like, well, I don't understand anything behind it. You're, you're kind of ruining the intrigue. Yeah. You're cutting the legs not, off. Well, also not like it's either. I want to watch the show cause I don't know what's going to happen. I want to watch the show because I can't wait to watch this match that was that was built up. You can't. Right. You got to do one or the other, and and oftentimes, and especially on the show, the way they do it is neither, and it just it, it really well not oftentimes. That again, it was it's been a hallmark of the Triple H era that that wasn't happening frequently. I mean, occasionally yes. it would, you know, but frequently it did not happen. And you're right. All they really needed to promote on Twitter or social media was. The bloodline will open raw. Mm -hmm. So you, then raw opens with Jimmy and solo in the ring. And they're talking about how we run not just SmackDown, but raw and blah, blah, blah. The street profits come out bullshit. It's our show, blah, blah, blah. And then they attack and brawl. And then Adam Pierce says, let's have a match. And you still have the match and you still have pretty much the exact same segment, except you're not announcing a match pre predetermining a match for no reason whatsoever. And again, this, that's what happened again with Cody and Gable. He could have bumped into them backstage. Uh, Gable could have been talking shit about Cody. Um, you know, he thinks he's Mr. America, but he wasn't in the Olympics like I and Cody overhears him. 
let's fight. And they have a match. Like yeah. it's so easy to just book stuff like that. And that is, those are prime examples of why this episode of Raw just felt lazy. It felt mailed in and it wasn't overly exciting. It doesn't take away Chris from the fact that the match was great and yep. the, the crowd got up for Cody, which was awesome, but mm-hmm. could it have been better? Absolutely. It could have been better. Yes. It's, it's a reminder too, that on a, uh, in front of a terrible crowd that was not up for almost anything. Mm-hmm. Cody still very much moves the needle. That's why he's main eventing WrestleMania. Yep, absolutely. Now, one more thing before we get out of here. Uh, Heyman was later asked backstage about Rhodes saying he was going to SmackDown. It was suggested that Cody didn't promise he was going to confront Roman, but Paul correctly pointed out there's no other reason for him to go to SmackDown, which I thought was just kind of an odd way to do it. (laughs) Heyman said Rhodes will confront Reigns or he will be confronted by Reigns. It was a much needed promo from Heyman just because it added a little bit of juice to the show, a little bit of juice to SmackDown. But I just kept thinking, why not have Cody bump into Paul or Jimmy backstage and do a stare down, have some choice words with each other? I know there's four full weeks of shows left, but WWE, it's done shockingly little since the chamber to like amp up the main event storyline and keeping everyone apart when they're all in attendance. That is not the answer. Agree. I mean, like we've been waiting, like the moment that Sammy and Roman get face to face, it's finally going to start and pop off. And we're now three shows past the elimination chamber and we haven't gotten it yet. So that's been kind of annoying. And yes, it feels like we're finally getting that on SmackDown. So maybe this coming SmackDown is finally like the moment we get going. Yeah, it's I mean, look, who knows what happens on Friday? Cody could get attacked. And Roman could like lord over him and talk trash, or they could do a real face to face. Reigns could, you know, say he wants to stay in his locker room. There's, we don't know what's going to happen on Friday, but I'll tell you two things. I'm anticipating watching that show, and I'm sure whatever it is is going to be pretty damn good. And, you know, just to kind of wrap up this main event with what we were saying, uh, Raw this week, as we're going to talk about in our next segment, not a great show, but the promotion for next week's Raw, Chris, I am juiced to watch that episode. Yes, agree. All right, let's move into the second segment on this WWE edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. You know it, you love it. It is the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez, I call a spade a spade. It just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything dude says. Same dude to give you ice and you own some... Jordan! It's time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in the articles that I read. All right, let's kick things off with the Women's Tag Team Championships that main evented Raw Damage Control defending against Becky Lynch and Lita. Referencing her past with two popular men's tag teams, Lita said it would be a bucket list item to walk out with the titles. Becky said it's one for her as well because she doesn't usually play well with others, but she respects Lita more than anyone else. Bailey later said Damage Control has proven to be the one team in WWE, the one true team, in WWE. And this is their legacy match. And we also got like numerous backstage cut-ins of damage control stretching for some reason throughout the entire show, including one, of course, where EOS guy did her signature split, which everyone loves. It looked good, but she's got me saying, hey now. And this was indeed the main event of Raw with 15 minutes left in the show. Lynch hit a combo DDT and inverted DDT 
plus Diamond Dust on Dakota Kai. Io Sky broke disarm her with her basement dropkick and hit a springboard moonsault on Becky outside. Bailey slid one of the titles inside and pulled Lita off the apron for a distraction. Lynch ate a double lifted slam for a near fall. And just then, Trish Stratus made a surprise return and attacked Bailey at ringside. Then she hugged Lita, who went back inside for a hurricanrana and a botched vertigo on Io. Sky stopped Lita's moonsault, but then missed her own. Lita came back with a twist of fate on Io. Trish stopped Bailey from interfering. Becky put Dakota in the disarm her on the apron to kind of take her out. And Lita hit her moonsault to crown new women's tag team champions. There was a ton of pyro after the bell as Raw went off the air with the three faces hugging. And you didn't see this, but off the air after Raw ended, Seth Rollins came out and celebrated with them as well. Now, Chris, after all of this, the Grand Rapids crowd finally popped for a second time on the evening. It took a major title change in the main event for that to happen. And I got to say, going into this match, this may have been the first time in history there was a Becky Lynch match that I wanted her to lose. And yet she still won. That resulted in Lita at age 47, becoming the oldest woman to win a WWE women's title since the fabulous Moolah at age 76 in 1999, which tells you the state of the women's division back then. It was also Lita's first title win in 5,957 days, more than 16 years, dating back to November 5th, 2006. And Becky Lynch also became the sixth women's triple crown champion in WWE. And look, while the moment was executed pretty well, I just couldn't help but be somewhat disappointed. Lita in the ring, moving at one-third speed at age 47, taking down EO of all people. It kind of put a sour taste in my mouth. If you're changing the titles, at least have Becky be the catalyst in setting up the moonsault for Lita. She does all the work, and then Lita hits the moonsault and wins. Instead, Lita was asked to completely carry the finish, and it was clear that she wasn't able to really do that physically. And then, why do you have Trish Stratus returning Grand Rapids, Michigan, of all freaking places? You could have had Lita return at Brooklyn. You didn't. You could have had Trish return in Canada. You didn't. And instead, you did it here. This would have been so much better placed and well-received, even if they just delayed it one week and did it next week in Boston. Now, I'm giving this a good because Trisha's return was hot, the crowd popped huge, and the plan was executed well. But would I personally have made this booking decision or set up the finish that way? No, I would not have. Yeah, this was a good. And you got to remember, too, if you take this off of the show and rearrange it in some other order. There's nothing on this show. Like nothing. Th- there there were there were like one and a half things of consequence that happened on the entire episode of Raw and this was this was the one. <laughs> we'll get to the point 5 later. Uh so like I I get it. And it's ultimately it's largely what I predicted, maybe you did too. I thought Bailey was going to cost Lita and Becky and then Trish mm-hmm. would come down and that would set up triple threat or whatever. We may still be going there, but the titles changed. So I, I, I don't quite know, but the match was okay. I thought Lita was okay. When she was put in spots where she had to carry the whole thing herself, it didn't go. It didn't go as well, which is completely understandable for someone who has wrestled one time in like, a decade, you know. Yeah, so, that's not her it, fault. That's the problem with who 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 agent the match, whoever the agent of the match was, and whoever planned yeah. it out. It's their fault that that happened that way, not hers. Yeah, 
Yeah. And maybe it'll take it. Maybe it'll take a, a little bit for Lita to get back into a groove because I, I thought she was uh, generally okay. I'm, I'm trying the, the match with Becky Elimination Chamber last year. I feel like yeah, that it was, was good, pretty good. It was good. So maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. It just maybe it was an off night or something. I, I don't know. But um, well, I'll tell you this: so, when you go from 26 yeah. to 27, that doesn't really matter. When you go from 46 to 47, it matters. So like just yes. another year of age, another year of not wrestling, like. And, and me yeah. too, man, you know, me or anyone, any wrestler, men's wrestler, women's wrestler, like when you're not doing it and then you're asked to, you know, she, I'm not saying she carried the match, but she carried the finish of a main event match on Raw at age 47, not being a full time or even a part time wrestler. That is a tall task that she should not have been asked to do. Yet she was. So right. all things considered, you know, it could have been a lot worse. Yeah. But and it, looked, it was it, it was not, it was, it was it's still cool to see. Cool to see Lita. You know, we figured Trisha would come back. She does. I thought WWE had a, a a rare, really dropped ball on production. Trisha's music hits, and the camera, which is like facing behind the announce table, just like zooms in on like a group of fans, and to to, to little reaction, and then eventually the camera turns in, you see Trish running down. I just, I don't understand the way WWE does these things compared to the way they used to. Normally in that situation, if there's something going on outside and music hits, you're cutting back to the hard cam it's to a, see yeah, everybody exactly. in the re ring reaction, seeing people around the ring react. And then you've got the person coming down. It was just, it didn't feel big when Trish came back because the crowd wasn't great. And the, the camera was weird. And it was just I, they kind of missed that too. But but they but also overall, the logo on the Titan Tron yeah. wasn't very clear that it was her either. So yes, even if you weren't too. familiar with the music, if you're like a younger fan and you weren't familiar and you looked up at the Titan Tron and say, who is that? You couldn't just see like, oh shit, that's Trish Stratus. Like it kind of took looking at it for a minute, be like, oh yeah, that's Trish. And then you look, oh, it's Trish. And then she's already running in and doing it. So, you know, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. you're right. It just wasn't executed like as well as it could have been. Same issue they did during the Women's Rumble, which we said the same thing, which is like when P when someone doesn't have like an iconic music and it's a legend and it takes them a minute, you got to like make that clearer right away to everybody. So staying with the women's tag team picture, let's go over to SmackDown. We had Natalia against Shayna Baszler. Natty barely got cleared for the match earlier in the day with Tegan Knox appearing in the training room, promising to have her back if needed. Baszler then entered in normal gear with Ronda Rousey one week after they entered in their geese and black belts. Rousey trash talked and distracted Natty enough so Baszler could catch her with a lifted knee and arm bar for the submission win. Knox then saved Natty from a post-match attack. After the bell, Rousey asked, like they're walking back like uh, Baszler and Rousey, and Rousey's like, who even is that? And Baszler completely deadpan goes, it's Tegan Knox. And that legitimately popped me more than anything else. I have no idea if it was meant to be funny, but it was funny <laughs> from Shayna. And Shayna is very funny, by the way. She doesn't get enough credit. Uh, Natty wanting retribution against them is fine in theory. But Knox randomly being her second, her partner, as opposed to Shotzi, who had been by her side in this mini feud, did not make a shred of sense. If you're going to do a rematch, just do a rematch. The booking was literally done to get Rousey and Baszler a second tag team win against Natty and another teammate next week. And Rousey, to her credit, even called that out on Twitter. This was pure laziness. I don't know why they didn't throw Knox with Emma and do a fresh combination or use two other women on the roster. This was bad because it accomplished nothing. It completely lacked imagination. 
And it was massively repetitive. Yep. There's not much more to say on that other than it's just it's bad. And are we doing this again? And there was no step forward, which is going to be a theme for quite a few of these in here. It's so yeah. bad. So now, Chris, I mean, at least to me, it does seem like we're going to get Becky Lynch and Lita defending the WWE Women's Tag Team Championships against Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler. I have to think that's inevitable, given the way Rousey and Baszler are being built up. And look, it's definitely a spotlight for the women's tag team titles from a name value and prominence standpoint. There's no question about that. But spotlighting the titles shouldn't be about the titles. They're props. It should be about featuring more women in the division. And this, to me, is a missed opportunity to do that. So in some way, I can't help but feel disappointed that we're not getting instead something like damage control against Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez, who look to be a really interesting, not necessarily a tag team, but two women who had partnered recently and worked well together. And they could have built them up over the six-week period of time to be challengers for really long-running women's tag team champions in damage control. That, to me, would have been really interesting. Here, it's like they're doing Becky Ronda without doing Becky versus Ronda directly. And I can't help but wonder, you know, are they doing that because they feel like a lot of juice was lost from it and maybe they're going to try to build over the next year for them to finally have that match at WrestleMania 40? If so, and they're kicking it off here, that certainly would make a lot of sense. But by doing that, Damage control gets pushed aside after being a key part to the women's division for the last six months. I mean, there's a lot of people who criticize damage control and Bailey and they didn't like what they were doing. I largely didn't mind what they were doing. I don't think it was as great as it could have been, but I think they were good enough as women's tag team champions and good enough as a group where they could have carried a match at WrestleMania, not carried in terms of in the ring, but their title reign and, and them as a group would have been enough to fight another team at the show. And I mentioned Liv and Raquel, folks like them now have nothing to do for WrestleMania. More than anything, this just felt empty to me, and it feels more like forced booking to put a prominent name in Rousey and a legend in Lita on the card rather than doing something that makes sense in terms of what WWE has been telling us and booking for us over the last six months. Wait, so hold on. So you think it's going to be Ronda, Shayna versus Lita, Becky? I'm almost positive that's what it's going to be, yeah. Oh, that was not my read on the my read on the situation was Trish coming out means we're going to get the six woman match that we expected at WrestleMania with no women's tag team titles defended on the show. Potentially. Yeah. And then what are Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler going to do? Something at on the SmackDown before. I'm I, I'm not sure. Not I, I, I still think I, WrestleMania? what's the point of bringing back Trish and having her like celebrate with Lita and Becky? Well, because what I presume the other side of this will be is Trish versus Bailey in a singles match. Okay, that is that is possible. And I saw some people saying that on Twitter. Because she attacked as well. Bailey. Right. Well, yeah, because Bailey was the one interfering. Right. Trish but I'm also. Saying, yeah. Trish also, I think, technically had a retirement match years ago against Charlotte. So I, I think there's a oh. lot of options still here on the table. I'm not so certain yet. I think it's possible we get. Becky Lita versus Ronda uh, and, and Shayna before Mania, potentially another title change. And then and then uh, you, you have a title match at, at Mania or something. I'm, I'm not well, sure. I, I mean, we, you and I talked about like, you know, putting the titles on R Rousey and Baszler before WrestleMania, right? 
And I do right. think that there is something but to I expect, the idea. By, by I expected them, by expected Bailey and Lita to uh, Becky and Lita to lose on Monday. No, I know. That was I know you did. Problem. What I'm saying yeah. is I do think there's something to be said for damage control costing Becky and Lita the titles on a SmackDown like two or three weeks from now. Mm-hmm. Then you have the six woman match, Becky, Lita and Trish against damage control. And then Rousey and Baszler defending the titles against maybe Liv and Raquel or a fatal four-way women's match or something like that. But yeah. I don't think they're going in that direction. To me, I, I think they're going to save Becky, Lita, Rousey, and Baszler for WrestleMania. And I just think they're going to straight up do Trish against Bailey as like a women's legends type of match. Let's not forget, Bailey has missed the last two WrestleManias. She wasn't booked on one. She was injured for the other. And it, when she was not booked two years ago, it was a big deal that she wasn't on that card. So I think from Triple H and from WWE, I'm not saying it's a make good where like she wouldn't otherwise deserve it, but Trish Stratus versus Bailey, that would be the first true non-title women's singles match on the main card of a WrestleMania in history. And I'm not counting the pillow fight or the cat fight from the early 2000s. This would be the first like legitimate women's singles non-title match on a WrestleMania card. And that yeah. would be a really notable moment given the fact that there's probably been hundreds of men's matches like that over the years. Oh yeah. No, no you're, you're right. There That's are, I, I think a lot of these things are on the table. It's been look, Trish, neither Trish nor Lita have like wrestled much over the last 15 years. I know Trish came back and had the match with Charlotte, maybe mm-hmm. had a match with Sasha or if that was just the rumble, I don't remember. That's familiar for some reason. Lita had the elimination chamber match. But either way, there's not a lot of you, you, you're going to have to trust that Trish can get through a you know a one-on-one singles match at a WrestleMania, um, and that Bailey can you know obviously help her get through that just because of the lack of you know reps over the last 15 years. So um, yeah, I, I guess that is possible. So Trish Stratus had five matches between 2018 and 2019. Her last one was against Trish. She never had Sasha Banks one-on-one, but she wasn't like a like a 10 woman tag match with Bailey, Lita, Natalia, Sasha, and Trish, of course, against five heels, including the riot squad, Mickey James uh, and Alicia Fox back in 2018. Um, so she was at evolution, of course, in the tag match with Lita. She was in the, I think the first women's Royal rumble and mm-hmm. she was in SummerSlam 2019 against Charlotte. Um, but she, you know, she hasn't had a match since then. So you're looking at four years, you know, later, um, a little bit, three and a half years later. And, you know, it's Trish still moves, you know, merch and she still uh, gets attention. She's one of the most popular women in WWE history. So giving mm-hmm. Bailey that match at WrestleMania, that's prominent and that's a good booking. I'm, I got to I'd be more excited about that than the tag team match. I, th- I think I would, too, because it would be more meaningful across the board. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, I, and Becky, Lee, Be- Becky, Lee, Becky Lee versus Ronda Shayna, like I would be into that. It's not the Becky Ronda we wanted, but. You're basically going to get that because Shayna and Lita, I don't think, are going to be able to contribute all that much. So, oh, I, Becky's I be carrying an entire match. That Becky's yeah, carrying so, three women in that match. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I would be, I'd still be excited for that too. So, we'll see. I, I would as well. It's not that that booking is necessarily bad, it's just the alternative options seemed more exciting than this. And the idea, yes. perhaps, of damage control just dropping the titles directly to Rousey and Baszler, which is what you mentioned last week, it would have been able to allow damage control to separate themselves from the situation, 
do the six-woman tag against Becky and the Legends. It gets damage control in totality on the card. Io Sky and Dakota Kai, who both deserve that opportunity after carrying these titles for six months. It gets two Legends and Becky on the card. And it still gives Rousey and Baszler an opportunity to fight some younger women on the show. Again, up-and-comers, Liv Morgan, Raquel Rodriguez. You can pick some other ones as well. Triple threat, fatal four-way, whatever the case might be. So it's it's not a measure of bad versus good. It's a measure of good versus good levels. You know, how good mm-hmm. will they be? But there is something to be said for potentially having four women's matches on the card with every single prominent woman in the company involved in those matches. You know, that's something WWE hasn't really done before. And so even though it may not be exactly what we want, that's not to say it's not progress and a step forward for the women's division. I still believe it would be. Agree. Agree. Totally. Okay, moving on. Austin Theory backstage wondered why everyone is talking about John Cena instead of Theory's accomplishments as United States champion, including recently winning Elimination Chamber. Then he explained why he exemplifies hustle and loyalty while having respect for Cena. He promised to confront Cena next week in Boston face-to-face, hoping to get that same respect back. This was good. It was a nice promo to set up next week's show. There's not really much more to say other than Theory really needs to trim that beard. Yeah, it's extra, extra stringy. We said this last week. Take care of that. Got to look good for Johnny next week. I am excited for that. John Cena in Boston, face-to-face with Austin Theory. Like, that's going to be good. John Cena is going to do his normal thing, and I'm excited to see how Theory responds. So I am looking forward to that, and this was a good. Yeah, he's like a top-tier talent in WWE, you know, up-and-coming talent, and his beard looks like he's an extra from Ozark. I mean, it just... I don't know what he's doing with that. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, Brock Lesnar entered before MVP for a scheduled VIP lounge segment. He asked MVP to sell him on doing business in the Omos fight that MVP suggested last week. The pitch was that Lesnar can beat nearly any man, but he can't dominate a giant. Lesnar gave MVP a high five and accepted the challenge. Wanting a handshake and a toast, Lesnar refused to use champagne and instead drank from his flask. He pressured MVP to do the same. MVP took a big chug of what Lesnar called white lightning and spit it out all over Lesnar's face in reaction to the taste. He couldn't swallow it. So Lesnar patiently wiped his face with MVP's handkerchief and then hit an F5 to end the segment. Uh, Chris, this was straight up awful. Uh, The Grand Rapids had a horrible crowd on Monday. We already talked about it, but not a single person elicited even the tiniest bit of cheer for the booking. Why? Because no one gives a fuck about a spectacle match that should have been held in the 1980s. I'm not saying Lesnar Omas won't have a moment. There will be some impressive spectacle. A body slam, a German suplex, an F5, maybe all three. But it is an absolute waste of Lesnar on the biggest show of the year to put him against Omas. This is some shit you do at Crown Jewel not WrestleMania, not when your other option is Bobby Lashley in what's clearly an unfinished feud given the way it ended at Elimination Chamber. Omos has only wrestled on TV one time since Thanksgiving, and you're giving him Lesnar at WrestleMania? Beyond that, the segment was terrible. It maybe got like a singular smirk out of me. So the booking is utterly disappointing, not because it's not what we wanted, but because it's actually mind-numbing to use someone of Lesnar's caliber and star power this way for your biggest show of the year. And then the segment on its own 
was so ugly that it was groan inducing. Zero point zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. Yeah, I'm giving this a bad. I'm so close to an ugly. What what does it say when you start the Go segment off? Go with me. Join the ugly crowd. We haven't done a lot of them. Come on. Bring, come it, over it, to the it, dark side. Let, let, me, let me talk it out, and then I'll reassess at the okay. end. You, you <laughs> have to... You had to start the segment off by being like, hey, tell me why I should care about this <laughs> to the guy in the ma- to the guy in the match. What are you doing? That's not, you're supposed to tell me. What do you what do you mean tell the guy? What, like what? Like I, well, I they I were selling believe- they were selling Lesnar to sell us simultaneously. Yes. But yeah. Yes. Yeah. And look, I, I, I know, you know, I, I said a few weeks ago that like rock free on the mic was was really great and it was good to see it. And it was something new and he was having a lot of fun over the past year. But this was a reminder that when he's in a bad segment, he can't get out of it. And there right. was no he way there was no there was no way he could get saved by this. MVP didn't really know what he was. MVP, who's elite on the mic, could not just figure out what was going on here. And like this story makes no sense. And we'll get to the Bobby Lashley thing maybe next. But like you finished Elimination Chamber with a story for for Brock and Bobby to do it again. And instead, you're just not like you, you, you're, you're, <laughs> exactly. you're going you're going Brock Omas. So how does that play off of what happened at the end of Elimination Chamber? Are we just we're done with Bobby Lashley and Brock in terms of like nobody got to look good or strong out of it? They're they're kind of equal. And that's it. Like Brock is Brock is getting back to the level he was pre Undertaker streak, mm-hmm. which was very much losing that shine because you know, you're going to get some weird shenanigans to try to either make him look okay or save him or whatever, instead of just him getting to be Brock Lesnar. And that, he, if he fights Omos at WrestleMania, he's going to beat Omos and get to look strong doing it. But like, nobody's going to care. And you know, the whole like, uh, sorry, go ahead. Keep yeah, finishing. No, no, th- that was, that was basically it. I just like, I, to start the segment off by being like, all right, tell me why I should care about this. And then ending with like comedy stuff. I just, it was a mess. And as I, as I'm talking it out, I'm, I'm getting myself back to ugly. This feels like the ultimate, like monkey's paw thing for you and I, right? Because what have we talked about for three years on this podcast? And then that, I did for three years prior on my other podcast. We said, we said Brock, Brock, we said Brock Lesnar does not need to be around the title. Correct. And Bobby Lashley, too. Like, it's OK if Lashley is because at least he's a full time uh, you know, performer. But theoretically, neither of these guys need to be involved in title matches to do big business. And then we saw them get put together and we're like, oh, all of our wishes, all of our dreams, they're coming to fruition. We're going to get this awesome match. Brock Lesnar, Bobby Lashley, two MMA guys who did wrestling, who did MMA and wrestling back and forth. You know, these these dudes, right, these absolute big pieces of meat. Oh, we got two big meaty men bumping meat tonight. These guys, Biggie's dream match, you know, above, above himself and Goldberg. WrestleMania, the biggest stage, the showcase of the immortals. And then the monkey's paw curls. And it says, actually, guys, okay, you wanted them not in title matches? Fine. They're going to get Omas and Bray Wyatt in two storylines that do not make a shred of sense. So, I think that we did something wrong to put this into the universe. I want to kind of blame us because we've been harping on this for years and it finally came to fruition. 
And not only did the feud itself not end well and not end at WrestleMania, the non-title matches that these guys are involved in are just, I mean, look, it feels like they're ribbing me. I, I, I know Come that, on, you know, I, it's a joke, right? It's a joke, Goose. You ribbing me? I know, I know I said at the opening of the show that it felt like Vince McMahon was in charge of Raw again, and I, I met that facetiously. I was not really serious about it. But it does not feel out of the realm of possibility that Vince McMahon is involved in the planning of WrestleMania and that he would want Brock Lesnar versus Omos. Because if you finish Elimination Chamber the way it did, there's only one way for that to go. And that's we have the final blow off between Bobby Lashley and Brock Lesnar. Not that they go their separate ways after a low blow finish. Like mm-hmm. it makes no sense. And I don't believe, I just, I don't believe that was Triple H's plan all along. Well, um, it's very possible that it wasn't. It's very possible that something happened behind the scenes that we're not aware of. Cause it did seem to be very clearly going in that direction. Perhaps Brock, and I'm just speculating. I don't know anything. Perhaps Brock told Triple H, look, I'm not putting Bobby over. It's just not going to happen. Or Bobby's like, we didn't come this way for me to lose to a part-timer. And since they already did that type of finish at Elimination Chamber, or they had to do that type of finish at Elimination Chamber, you weren't going to do the match again at WrestleMania and do another finish just like that. It really is nonsensical when you think about the entire thing. Why Lesnar would care about this match There's really no good reason. And then let's go ahead, Chris, and move on and talk about the second half of this, okay? Because Firefly Funhouse returned on SmackDown and someone played with two Undertaker action figures. Bray Wyatt then laughed kind of manically watching his promo from last week before doing a news broadcast with Ramblin' Rabbit. Uncle Howdy showed up for five seconds doing the weather. Then it was a game show called Can You Keep a Secret? A bunch of images flickered on the open Funhouse door before Wyatt appeared in his black mask asking, if I told you a story, can you keep a secret? And I got to say, man, this was just dumbfounding. And the frustration now at basically nothing happening with this gimmick week to week is reaching for me a boiling point. It's like intrigue upon intrigue upon intrigue, but no resolution whatsoever. Not even hints that resolution is on its way. So there's really two ways to analyze this. The first is to give insight into the purpose of the segment and what actually happened here. And I can do that if you really want, okay? There were multiple fiend teases, including the Jack in the Box Alexa Bliss used to use to like get the fiend to summon, to basically summon the fiend. I don't know why I jumbled all that. We got Bray watching himself on screens for I think consecutive weeks, almost as if it may have been an out-of-body experience that he can't believe that he actually said what he did say. Playing with two Undertaker figures harkens back to SummerSlam 94 and the imposter gimmick that could relate to Uncle Howdy being another version of him. And there's still a ton of references to lying and keeping secrets, including the end of that segment. So that's the first part of the analysis, telling you what kind of happened here. But the second is, there's literally nothing to expound on from that. It seems like they're actually going forward with this random challenge from last week. And we'll talk more about Bobby Lashley in a little bit. And It does seem like Bray Wyatt and Bobby Lashley is going to be the match for WrestleMania, but given a chance to add context or a storyline this week, they just didn't. We're four and a half months into Wyatt's return to WWE, and we barely know anything about Uncle Howdy. Bliss has disappeared, and there's now a prominent mania challenge 
without a storyline. I gave this a really long leash, but I'm about ready to pull it back. They're going to get one more chance this week for me. I'm going bad here, but same shit once more, and it's going to officially be an ugly. This is bullshit, man. Yep, this is ugly again. Like you said, all right, last week was random. Why would he... Who two weeks ago? Why would he call out the winner of Lashley versus Lesnar, then do nothing, and now we're still nothing? Like nothing's going on. They still haven't explained any reason behind any of this. And I've been out on this Bray Wyatt since about two or three weeks after he returned, and you cannot tell me that there has been any sort of plan because ever since Bray Wyatt has come back, he has feuded with L.A. Knight, and now I guess Bobby Lashley since October. <laughs> Like that, that is not, if you had big plans for Bray Wyatt and bringing him back, this is not how you would go about that. So it, it's just complete mess. I'll say this. I do like the weird, goofy stuff over the long, meandering promos about mm-hmm. nothing. It's at least more entertaining. But, but it also feels like they've just reverted back to the Fiend gimmick. And it's like, correct. So now they're mashed together. But we still don't understand what Uncle Howdy is and the characters that are now appearing. It, it's just, they, it's There's okay to build it. intrigue and like tease. That's all okay. And it's one, one of the reasons we liked the White Rabbit build so much. They were giving us so many things to chew on and wonder. And is it Bray Wyatt? Okay, it probably is. What does all this mean? But they're still doing what does all this mean four and a half months later? Yes. You got to tell us yeah. what it means at some point. And look, I said, look, if you were, if you were going to split up Brock and Lashley and do something weird. I said, you know what? Putting Brock Lesnar in a Firefly Funhouse match would be pretty cool. That would be a, that would be an environment we never saw him in. It would be different. It would be neat. It could be something. The, the first Firefly Funhouse match, I think, was one of the most creative things WWE has ever done. And instead, we're doing something-ish like that with Bobby Lashley, who, no offense to Bobby Lashley, he just, he, there's no character there there's not much of a story behind him there's not a history to him there's just he's just a big awesome dude who beats people up and does a great job of doing that this is just like i don't nothing makes sense here this was like it was like kind of entertaining because it was goofy but it's a complete waste of time and once again as with a lot of things there was no step forward taken there was no meaning to this whether you love, like, or hate Bray Wyatt, any storyline that he is involved in needs the B side of that storyline, the person opposite him, not necessarily the B side, but the person opposite him to be able to emote and act. And, you know, the Seth Rollins feud we hated, but Rollins was able to do that. John Cena, able to do that. LA Knight recently, able to do that. Randy Orton, when he feuded with Orton, able to do that. Bobby's not. Like, like, one of his weaknesses, his his only real weakness, it's not so much the promo, it's the character acting aspect of being a professional wrestler. And that's the guy that they have now taken and put into a feud with the guy in Bray Wyatt who needs someone that has that skill set opposite him more than perhaps anyone else on the roster. It's poorly planned. It was a poor decision. It's not working. And I don't see how it's ever going to work on the way to WrestleMania. Let's Chris keep either. talking about like what happened on raw, just so we can get past it. Uh, Bobby Lashley fought Elias. This was the third match I mentioned that had no storyline build on TV. Now this one may have a little bit of an excuse. I think a segment may have been cut from raw because WWE did post something on Twitter with Elias 
telling Rick Boogs, who was taking copious notes again, coming out of last week, how easily he could take down Lashley. And Boogs suggested, well, oh, that's great. Let me see you do it and go in the match. So like Elias kind of backed himself into doing the match. It wasn't shown on TV, though. And to the point that Kevin Patrick wondered out loud before the bell why the hell Elias would even want this match. We didn't get any explanation on television. Boogs took more notes during the match. Lashley hit a flatliner spear in Hurtlock and got the win in a couple of minutes. Then Lashley grabbed a mic, angry that Lesnar low-blowed him rather than tap out at Elimination Chamber, only to then just move on to Wyatt, angry that he's playing kids' games. He told Bray, keep my name out your mouth. Wyatt appeared on Scream in the Wyatt Gym type of outfit and whole gimmick, dancing and briefly saying erase your mind before adding you should run. Lashley kind of shook his head and left. And yeah, this was straight up bad also. Like the story wasn't shown on TV. The match had no energy. It lasted three minutes. The post-match promo was terrible. And the Wyatt Jim thing, it just continued setting up a match with no story. Now we're going to re-air this because we already used the sound drop earlier in the show. But I was immensely bored throughout this entire thing. I'm bored, brother. Yeah, I mean, look, they brought back the muscle man. Dan, they're just like pulling out old Bray Wyatt stuff again. But like I said, it's he came back in October. It's February. He's feuded with L.A. Knight. And now he's got a weird nothing with with Bobby Lashley. Just there's nothing to this. There's no like no normal person could look at this and be like, all right, like this is clearly where it's going. We have a plan. There's no sense of any sort of plan. Like, you can't trust that there's any sort of plan with Bray Wyatt doing this. And, like, like Bray's a really talented dude, but you got to match him with the right partner and you got to have a plan laid out. The issue with Bray Wyatt before, you know, before they fired him was always, like, things went on too long and lost track and lost focus. And that's exactly where he has been since he picked up, since he came. It almost feels like so under Vince McMahon, he didn't have enough freedom. And now under Triple H, he has too much freedom. He just needs to be reined yeah. in. Someone, there has to be an adult in the room saying, what is the purpose? When are we doing that? And is it, you know, and, and then what's the match and what's the next match? And let's plan this out. It's okay to have long-term storytelling and nuance. We love it. The bloodline is a great example of it. Judgment day to some degree is a nice example of it as well. But this it's like, they're trying to tell a long-term story, but there's no climax. And there's no story. What is the story? And there's what no story. Bray Wyatt's, what is Bray Wyatt's story since he came back? Right. It's not like he's trying to find himself or he's trying to determine what Uncle Howdy is. And then he figures it out. And then he has to realize, well, okay, now that I know what it is, how do I get rid of it? Like, there's none of that. It's just, here's a bunch of weird shit. Oh, okay. Now I'm accepting it and moving on. And this is my character now. It's just, I'm I'm real. I'm not a character. Uncle Howdy is me. Now we're friends. Now he's jumping off a thing to elbow LA Knight. Now he's not here. I'm now we're teaming up to beat muscle. up top dollar. I'm doing, my, <laughs> like, I'm doing my, yeah, I'm doing my muscle man dance. Like there's just, it's nonsense. It's complete nonsense. Yeah. All right, let's get out of it. Let's move on. Charlotte flair opened hour two of SmackDown to a nice pop before inviting Rhea Ripley to the ring for their planned and promoted face-to-face segment. She didn't enter though. Dominic Mysterio walked out instead. Dom got into the sex aspect of their relationship when Charlotte snapped back saying she has a Latino man at home who calls her mommy with a much thicker accent. Dom talked about them being legacies while shitting on Ray and saying Charlotte will eventually disappoint Rick. And Charlotte was ready to fight him. When Ripley finally came out, they went face to face for a total of 10 seconds, maybe less, before Ripley left. And Chris, this was just such a massive disappointment for me. Okay, yes, 
Dom had his moments as usual. But why the hell is he speaking for Rhea? In what world does it make sense for him to set the stage for her WrestleMania match, especially when she is the more dominant part of the relationship? Beyond that, this face-to-face was promoted all week. They actually got in each other's grills for 10 seconds, and Rhea didn't say a single word. This is the Royal Rumble winner. This is what WWE likes to promote as the greatest women's wrestler in company history. This is a potential WrestleMania night one main event. We're five weeks out, and we can't get some storyline building between the two people actually in the match. Who cares about the legacy aspect between Flair and Ripley's second in Dominic? It was such a head-scratcher for me. I want build for Flair Ripley, not Flair Dominic. The Andrade reference in the package talk was kind of fun in a vacuum, but this was bad to me. It would have been fine if it was a surprise segment that randomly happened and wasn't promoted, but it was promoted. We were supposed to get Flair Ripley face-to-face for the first time, you know, explosive type of segment between them, and we got anything but that. It was a very awkward segment for a number of reasons, but I still thought it overall worked and I'm still giving it a good upfront. Mm-hmm. But the Dominic stuff, like the, the I'm very, I, like when we paired up Rhea and Charlotte, it's not what I would have done, but I was still looking forward to it. And I was like, you, you, you can use Dominic as a foil for so many things. It'll be a great setup. But what you do is you do Charlotte and Rhea, like you start with that, and then you have Dominic getting in the way and preventing Charlotte from getting to Rhea and stuff like exactly. that. Exactly. Or inserting himself and taking a Star- bump. Yeah. yeah. Starting exactly. with Dominic at the beginning was a weird way to start it off. I will say, Dominic saying to Charlotte, you should smile more often. Incredible heel move right there to, <laughs> to say that to a woman. First off, major heel move by doing that. Charlotte delivered the package line without the right emphasis she emphasized thicker she said he has a much thicker accent it's no she should have said he has a much thicker accent like she she kind of missed the emphasis there to kind of make the point across that's a little bit of a nitpick but you're right you are correct though because that like that's where they were that i could tell that's what they were going for it felt like Rhea had some piped in booze when she was coming in um, but I don't think hmm. you need them because Dominic's getting all kinds of heat anyway. It just, it felt like some volume went up and down very quickly. I, I don't know. And lastly, it's going to be something they're going to need to not do moving forward, but both Rhea and Charlotte, because they are kind of just naturally heels, they both talk to each other in that classic WWE sarcasm. Right. Where they're not really having a conversation. They're not having a debate or an argument. They're they're like they're like uh, detached put downs of the other person. And it's going to need to be a bit more edgier. So I hope we get that moving forward. Uh, Yeah. And I have no problem with you saying it was a light good because it wasn't insulting in any way. But the points you made are really all the key points that I didn't in that it just ideation fine execution poor and when you're building a match of this caliber and really this show and look if they don't put Rhea Ripley over Charlotte Flair I'm going to lose my mind okay on our <laughs> WrestleMania instant analysis but this needs to be about Ripley getting over and it's going to be tough for her to get over Charlotte Flair both in the match and then in the minds and eyes of the WWE universe 
when you don't ever talk and you don't have her like right. be the heel. And, and, you know, if you want fans to boo her, then have her say some shit about flair and her father and, you know, insults. She's able to do it. She's capable. She's good on the mic. You don't need Dominic in there doing it. So it felt like again, and this is what I talked about with SmackDown and somewhat with raw, a segment where they're like, we don't want to give everything away. We got four weeks left. Let's kind of just throw this out there and we'll save that for later. If that's the case again, then say Ripley will be at SmackDown or Ripley and Dominic will be at SmackDown to take a lay of the land against their WrestleMania opponents. Or, you know, you don't even have to say that, but just say they're going to be on the show. Then you do this segment and it's like, oh, okay, that was a segment, but you cannot promote a face-to-face, this big, huge confrontation between these two women that we've been waiting for since Ripley won the Royal Rumble and then give us Dominic and Charlotte. It's just, you can't do that. So that was my bigger issue with the entire thing. Let's stay with this overall topic. Um, Rey Mysterio fought Karrion Cross on SmackDown. Santos Escobar interrupted Ray's interview backstage, wanting to show the fans how much he respected Ray for their mask exchange. We talked about that last week. Dom tried talking trash with more prison references, but Santos promised to teach him respect. When Escobar went to get in his face, Ripley stepped between them. Then we get to the match. Cross beat Ray outside in front of a kid in his mask. Mysterio came back with a hurricanrana off the ropes. Ray went for a 619, but when he hit the first set of ropes, Scarlett was on the apron and actually flipped into the ring, which was pretty cool. When he regrouped, Dom caught his legs on the attempt. Mysterio eventually re-entered, but he was distracted. He had a huge forearm from Cross and the Cross jacket for the knockout loss. Dom taunted and shoved Ray after the bell. Ray finally went face-to-face with his son. He still refused to punch him, though, and he left the ring really frustrated. It wasn't a particularly notable match. I loved, though, the agency of it, how the finish was booked, from Scarlet flipping in the ring to the believable forearm catching him blind to the submission knockout. It was a really smart way to give Cross a notable win. He also got the win back, let's not forget, because Ray beat him the first time. Mysterio got an excused loss, and it didn't really hurt him that much ahead of presumably a match with Dominic or maybe a tag team match involving Dominic at WrestleMania. Plus, I thought the post-match between both of them was executed really well. This was one of the better segments that we got in WWE this week, and it was good. Yes, I will give it a good for that. Like like a light good. Like it, it ultimately accomplished what it wanted to do, which is more than you can say about most of what happened because I didn't know what they wanted to do on most of it. They wanted to get Karen Cross a win, and you want to get Ray closer to the edge of finally hitting Dominic. And we we, we took a step forward with that. Mm-hmm. It, it, it made me looking forward to the next Ray Dominic. Like Dominic's been so involved with Judgment Day and Rhea and doing the stuff that sometimes like including him in the Ray stuff as well. You kind of forget about it. He's got like three storylines going on kind of at the <laughs> moment, which is really a testament to where they know who he, uh, he is and the reactions he's getting. And it made me look forward to the next time we finally get the two of them together. So, yeah, that was good. So Judgment Day was backstage at Raw and Dom called Ray a joke and a loser saying, He'd be on SmackDown again Friday for a heart-to-heart. Ripley said Flair was shook just being in the same ring with her because, you know, ain't no such thing as halfway crooks. Finn Balor said he, not Edge, decides when their feud is over, and he officially made a WrestleMania challenge. I presume Edge will come up with a stipulation whenever he returns to answer that. And this was all spliced with footage from the last two weeks. While none of this was remarkable individually, Chris, I really enjoyed the way this was presented as a whole. Judgment Day came off looking like a strong stable. They had their promos mixed with highlights. The whole thing just came off really cool. And yes, I am totally down for Edge Balor. It's only their second singles match. I know the story has been going on for a while, but it's only the second time they're fighting one-on-one. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot more to it as we build. 
My criticism, I said it at the top of the show, was you have Judgment Day, which is one of the most overacts on Raw in terms of generating actual heat. And they never appeared in front of the live crowd. Everything they did was backstage. And that's one of the reasons, not one of the reasons why the crowd was bad, but one of the reasons why it seemed like the show wasn't that exciting. You have three members of Judgment Day who are going to have WrestleMania matches, and none of those developed in front of the crowd on Monday night. So this was good, but I did have a problem with that aspect of the entire thing. Yes, I'm still kind of on Balor edge, but I did like this. I liked stuff Damian Priest was doing backstage. Like, again, these, the Judgment Day seem to really like to be around each other. At least it comes across like that on the screen. They seem like they're having fun together. And and so I enjoy seeing them do that stuff. And you want to get them in front of a crowd to get them to boo you, especially Dominic, who everybody wants to boo right now. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, could have done more with it. But this was still a a good, uh, a good, um, kind of mix of stuff. Chase Goldstein at chasing gold 38 wrote in with a DM. He had a question for us. I recall last year, you and Chris talking about Dominic's future, suggesting he needs to split from Ray and perhaps go to NXT. He went from being one of the blandest performers on the roster to one of the most over entertaining gimmicks, a remarkable turnaround credit to great creative and credit to his great performance. What's there's not really a question there, but I guess we'll still talk about it. What's notable is it's almost entirely character work. Like his wrestling hasn't necessarily improved and he hasn't even wrestled that frequently since this all changed. Separating him from Ray was a key because now he's not being compared to his father in the ring and he's been able to show some personality. It's really similar to the Usos like removing the face paint or Bailey shedding the Bailey buddies. There's just a believability aspect to Dom, even if it's outlandish. Like we've all known someone who is a total poser. There was a kid I went to high school with who randomly one day started listening to Marilyn Manson and reading the Satanic Bible. And you're like, dude, your name's Seth. You're from Boca Raton and your dad's a dentist. Get the fuck out of here with the pentagrams and shit. And I have another close friend who, you know, burying Seth. What'd you say? I'm saying we're burying Seth. Yeah, I buried Seth. Uh, I have another close friend who after college, he dated a girl who was from New Jersey suddenly, like we all decide to go out on a double date. He starts wearing like affliction shirts with, you know, the studs on them and the heavy gel in his hair. And I laughed at the guy. They broke up and he stopped wearing it. So what Dom's doing is realistic. It's also relatable and it's funny. NXT probably would have been the right move, you know, early in his career before the pandemic. But look, not everyone takes the same path. He's 25 years old. He has a great base level of knowledge. Others like Braun Strowman have completely learned how to do everything on the main roster before. And Dom has a much bigger head start than Braun Strowman did by comparison. So yes, Dom deserves a lot of credit. Creative deserves a lot of credit. And I did indeed bury two people um, in that answer. You, your, your point about taking a different path is, ex- is exactly what it is. Cause remember this, this is sports entertainment, you know, like, like you can succeed at this level right. and not be an amazing wrestler. And that's what they've done. They got they got Dominic away from Ray and then just found a situation where he could thrive in in, in it, 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 it. That's that, that's the purpose of this whole business. That's what you try to do with everybody. So even if he's mm-hmm. not out there doing five star matches every other week, you he, they're still getting a lot out of him. Uh, so that's a, that's an absolute success. What they've done. 
at some point, yeah, you, you know, the wrestling will need to improve whatever, but even as mic work, it's like, it's pretty good, but it's also kind of the same note every time. So mm-hmm. like, you'll he'll, he'll need to develop more skills and whatnot. But like, this was an, this is an absolute success story of finding a new position for a guy and it being the best situation for everybody. And he can continue and grow and move on from there. For sure. Maxine Dupree told Otis backstage they would have a good chance to evaluate him as a model if he got a match on the show. So Otis apparently ran to find Adam Pierce and get booked. Turns out Johnny Gargano took that match. Uh, Judgment Day interrupted his backstage interview with Damian Priest, wanting to fight only for Balor to hold him off and promise to take Gargano out next week if he even survived Otis this week on Raw. It was kind of a weird segment that came from out of nowhere. I don't know why Balor wouldn't let Priest fight Gargano, but that's a whole nother story. So we got Gargano against Otis. Maximum male models entered with Otis. Gargano knocked him outside where Maxine distracted him. Massey tried to attack Gargano only for him and Mansois to get taken out over the barricade by Dexter Loomis. Gargano then distracted Otis by standing next to Maxine. He hit one final beat on Otis, both on the apron and then inside the ring for the clean one, two, three. Now, this should have been a notable win for Gargano, but instead, the match length, the suddenness of the finish, and the total lack of interest by an awful, awful crowd ruined this. I liked the booking in general to push Gargano, so I'm going to go with a good Gargano over Otis. That is notable, and they gave Otis an excuse. It just came across as a bad because of the crowd and really the way the whole thing got set up. But it is a marginal good for me. I'm a light bad for for you know a, a good crowd probably could have slid this into a good territory, mm-hmm. but it just it kind of felt like it was just kind of a lot going on. Like a lot of it was just comedy, and and I, I don't know. Like I'm liking the Otis Maxine Dupree stuff, and that is comedy. But like there's just like levels to this, and to me, mm-hmm. this just it didn't hit. And I don't know what Johnny Gargano's future is in WWE where what his status is I know he was banged up he's just kind of been floating around they haven't figured it out or haven't been able to do enough consistently Dexter Loomis sure it's just it's all just kind of whatever to me very very mid to mid lower card type stuff um so I I give it a light bad but like you said that might have been because of the crowd it was the bad crowd and also like Gargano had this I don't want to say star making performance because everyone knows he's a good wrestler, but he was great in Elimination Chamber. They followed up on Raw by not having him on the show. Now, maybe he was legitimately banged up. Maybe not. I don't know. But if they had followed that up with Gargano Finn Balor and they put out an absolute banger last week on Monday night, then you'd say, holy shit, Gargano has some momentum. Instead, he did nothing that week. Then he got Otis in front of a terrible crowd. And now he's going to fight Gargano or sorry, fight Balor three weeks later in the match that should have happened two weeks ago. So it's just like, okay, something happened. And, and you know, again, maybe he was hurt and couldn't wrestle. So they had to change this. I don't exactly know, but it feels like it was a missed opportunity to capitalize on his momentum coming out of the chamber, just like they didn't capitalize on Montez Ford's momentum coming out of the chamber. They were the two MVPs of the match. And here we are, and they're kind of back where they were right before the chamber. Uh, Miz TV opened with the Miz announcing the huge life-changing gift from last week, which is that he is the host of WrestleMania. He was bothered that Maurice had to make it happen as a gift rather than it be an obvious decision for WWE. Miz started announcing WrestleMania matches when Seth Rollins interrupted. They argued about Rollins giving Miz grief recently, but Rollins said he was just there to figure out how to get in touch with Logan Paul. Miz refused. He threw in Seth's face that his Mania ticket was already punched and Rollins 
once again had nothing to do on the show. So Rollins super kicked him out cold, used Mrs. Face to unlock the phone to use the, you know, the face feature, and then called Logan on FaceTime, who answered first by saying, Miz, stop calling me. Rollins laughed. He made fun of Jake Paul losing to Tommy Fury and challenged Logan to show up on Raw next week. Logan accepted, so Rollins laughed and said, bye-bye, bitch, before hanging up on him. Then Miz got up, and of course, he ate a stomp to end the segment. This was actually executed pretty well. Did it drag on? Absolutely. But Miz is the WrestleMania host in LA. Makes a ton of sense. Rollins played his role well, and it all came together in the end. I think this feud is going to pick up significant steam next week after two Raws where the wheels mostly just kind of spun in place while they waited for Logan Paul to make the return. This was good. I'm excited to see what they do next week. What did I say about Seth Rollins last week? I said, what is his character? What is his motivation? Like, who is he? Is he taking Logan Paul seriously, or is he just here to have the crowd sing a song and wear goofy clothes? And I I said, like, this is the opportunity to bring Seth kind of back to the ground a little bit to, to kind of develop a character. We did not get that on Monday night. We got the same Seth Rollins we've been getting with giant glasses, doing some stuff with the Miz and the phone thing. And bye bye, bitch. I I didn't care about this at all. Honestly, the best part of the segment to me was Miz as the host of WrestleMania, which I think is a good idea and good for him. And I, I actually am kind of looking forward to him in that role. He does a good job. Uh, the, the clip of Miz getting kicked out of the locker room coming up from his, uh, uh, that WWE documentary they did on him. It made the rounds again a couple of days ago on uh, online. Mm-hmm. And, and so like, I'm like happy for Miz to get that spot, to have something to do. But the Seth Logan Paul stuff, I still don't care about this at all. And I think to, that's going to change this, next this, week when they promo. It could be, it could be, it might. I just, I need like the stuff we've, we got from again, the stuff we got from Seth a couple weeks back on Instagram live of like, he's not a wrestler. I don't want him in my locker room. And he kind of said the same thing. I think around the super bowl on Pat McAfee's show uh, mm-hmm. as well. That's what I want on TV. Like that's the story. Yeah, but you have There's to have still- Logan Paul there to do it. So that's right. what they're doing next week, right. I presume. So, so, right. So we might get there next week. But to me, this week was a was a bad. Okay. Now. Right. Fair enough. Uh, Braun Strowman, Ricochet, and Madcap Moss fought Imperium on SmackDown. This opened the show. Drew McIntyre walked out to watch on the stage as Gunther was detro- destroying Ricochet. Braun had a nice hot tag, but once Moss got in, Gunther quickly caught him with the powerbomb and got the win. Gunther held the title in the air while staring at Drew after the bell. McIntyre removed his leather jacket, only to get attacked by the Viking Raiders with Sheamus making the save. Strowman and Ricochet helped before McIntyre and Sheamus booted them over the barricade. So the match was just okay, given the talent in the ring. And again, there was no storyline reason for this to even happen. The McIntyre tease made a ton of sense. And Chris, it also set me at ease a bit coming out of our conversation last week because previously I was wondering whether they were still planning to put Drew and Sheamus in the tag team picture. It seemed like they were teasing that last week, but the Raiders still attacking them after being defeated clean, plus Sheamus not being out there until Drew needed to be saved. That was really repetitive and odd. However, they did kind of hint at, okay, it's going to be Gunther and Drew McIntyre, maybe Sheamus as well. I don't know why they wouldn't include Sheamus, but perhaps they don't. It was good overall. The crowd was hot for it. And the real reason this gets a good 
is because it set the IC title feud in the right direction for WrestleMania one week after I got really concerned about it. Agree. Good. I, 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 this is a good for the same reason. When I saw Drew walk out, I was like, all right. All right. Yeah, Drew's I walking out, I was staring like, down Gunther. I was like, uh, okay, okay. <laughs> okay. We're good. Everything's going to be okay. <laughs> we're we're, we're going to be okay here. And yeah. not only that, it was Drew in street clothes, leather jacket, where he always looks like a complete badass. He didn't come mm-hmm. out in a t-shirt in his trunks or whatever. So that was another positive check of that box. The Viking Raiders coming out and beating them up and stuff like that made people be like, ugh, I kind of want to move past this. Mm-hmm. But overall, I don't think Drew's coming out to look at Gunther if he's not going to be in the IC picture. So we're we're, we're going to be good. And and the match didn't make sense, but it was fine. And it was just, like we said, it's a clear step forward. So that's a good. A good idea, perhaps, would be to use Braun Strowman and Ricochet and transition the Viking Raiders into that feud with them. That would be cool. And then, of course, you do. I still think it should be Drew and Sheamus against Gunther, not just Gunther and Drew. Do you agree with that? Yes. Okay. Asuka fought Carmella on Raw. After Mella talked trash midway through the match, Asuka just brutalized her with a spinning back fist, a ton of strikes, and a sliding knee. Mella dodged a senton and hit a super kick. Then she tried Kona Silence, but Asuka countered twice into the butterfly armbar rings of Saturn. For the win. She's been doing the submission every single week, and they haven't named it. Just give it a name, please. After the bell, Asuka demanded Bianca Belair come out, so she stormed out and talked some shit, only for Mella to shove Asuka into Belair and then run off. This was a fun little match and a short story going back to the chamber, and the post-match was fine to generate another match for next week. There is this tiny inkling of concern. I don't want to put this out into the universe, but there's this tiny inkling of concern that Mella being involved so much here could lead to a triple threat, but I presume and hope it's just a storytelling device to create some TV on the road to WrestleMania. I have to believe they're not going to make this a triple threat for no reason. She's been doing a great job, Mella has, since her recent return, but she should be nowhere near the title picture, and she should absolutely not jump in a triple threat just to take the fall for whoever's going to win. So this was good overall, and as long as they keep Mella out of the match, I'm going to be totally okay with the book. Yes, I think Mel is just here to kind of fill some time before Mania Mm -hmm. because we've had some women's builds where it's, oh, it's four weeks until Mania and we don't really know what to do. So we'll make Bianca and Sasha a tag team for a couple weeks and just like figure out what to do until then. So I I think Carmella is kind of here to kind of take the hits from both sides before we get to the one-on-ones. And Carmella's like, she's a very, very accomplished and talented wrestler. And I'm Mm -hmm. glad that they emphasize that the background that she has uh so it's not just like it's not some random person you know like like she deserves to force her way into the conversation at least um so that's what i think i i I give this a light good um it was fine the post-match was kind of fine whatever i didn't it wasn't great but it was it was passable but i gotta say and this highlighted an issue with raw Corey graves seems to like not like Kevin Patrick. He went at him like <laughs> so many times on raw. One of them was this match to be like, basically like Kevin Patrick, shut up my wife. He said, let me talk about my wife and how great she is and blah, blah, blah. And like, I get that for his character, but that happened like several times on the show where Corey Graves was like, dude, what are you talking about? You're, you don't want your, your that's nonsense. Whatever you're talking about. Like it happened a, a, several times. We haven't talked about commentary in a bit. 
but it really does. Well, I have that for the end of the show, so let's save that conversation. Okay, there we go. There we go. Yeah, let's, let's save that. Um, now, after this, later, Chelsea Green complained to Adam Pierce about being sent to the wrong Ottawa last week. Mella wanted the Bel Air match next week, so Pierce granted it. Then he left to take a phone call when suddenly Chelsea and Mella like started getting along with each other. It would be really fun if this started a women's tag team. Their gimmicks would work quite well together. I also think another way that this could be booked is Mella you know, loses to Bel Air next week. And then Chelsea maybe comes to her aid or does something. And I could definitely see Bel Air and Oscar doing like a beat the clock challenge with Chelsea Green in the next two weeks or, you know, three weeks from now or whatever the case on the road to WrestleMania, where they're each trying to one up each other, perhaps. And, you know, Mella kind of sets that into motion. And that's a good way to tell a story with Bel Air and Oscar without having them to cut promos, given Oscar obviously is not completely fluent in English. So this was all nice backstage. I'm not grading it. But I do like the way that they're using Chelsea Green. Yeah, when we got the two of them together, I was like, this is a tag team right here. Carmella and and Chelsea Green, I think, would be a great tag team. Remember, we really liked Carmella and Zelina Vega as a tag team. You know, like like Carmella's done some really good stuff as a tag team partner before. We liked, you know, she, her and um, uh, from the Iconics, uh, uh, I forgot what her name was. Peyton Royce? But they're like, yeah, no, not Peyton Royce. Um, Billy Kay? uh, Billy Kay, yeah. Carmella and Billy Kay did some stuff before that, that did they? worked pretty well. So I'm I wow. I'm uh, I think there's a lot of potential in that. There is. And again, this is what I'm talking about with the women's tag team division. All you need to do is like a simple backstage segment like this. You're showing, oh hey, they're becoming friends. Then two weeks later they have a tag team match, and then they're a women's tag team, and you can start building their moveset and give them a name and do all that type of shit. It's just like with Liv and uh, Raquel Rodriguez. It's like They teamed up before Elimination Chamber. They seem to really respect each other. I think in the match, they did some work together. And on on SmackDown, all you have to do is have them like backstage be a little chummy chummy. And then they're a women's tag team, like just like any men's tag team. That's how they develop. So this is the type of shit WWE needs to do to build up that division. I'm not saying it's some huge remarkable thing if Mella and Chelsea team together, but it's a perfect example of the way to make something like that work. And I was glad to see that it's at least a possibility given what happened on Raw. Over on SmackDown, LA Knight got a nice pop and then some loud jeers saying he didn't come to WWE for WrestleMania moments, but to make money, win titles, and be recognized as the best. But he said, you can't have an LA WrestleMania without LA Knight. And you know what? Fair enough. That was a good one, yeah. New Day interrupted with Xavier Woods putting over Kofi Mania, Knight dissing Kingston's Mania run, and Kofi stepping to him with a challenge that Knight accepted. And again, this is an example of just doing a quick segment on the show to make a match that wasn't previously booked before, unlike what they did on Raw and in one match on SmackDown. So we got Kingston and Knight. Kofi hit a froggy crossbody early, but got his head drilled into the turnbuckles twice. Knight then got into it with Woods outside. Kofi missed trouble in paradise with Knight hitting a lifted Uranagi for a near fall. Knight leveled Woods outside only to eat a Tope Cone hero. Kingston avoided Knight as Woods distracted him with the trombone. Kofi then hit trouble in paradise and got the win. Now, on one hand, it would have been nice for Knight to get a win here. On the other, I appreciate Triple H respecting the sanctity of Kofi being a former WWE champion, which was played up during the match. I hate when like former one-off champions like him get beat like it's nothing and them holding that distinction doesn't matter. It still has to count for something. Now, there's an argument to be made. Maybe they should have done Knight and Woods so LA could beat Xavier. And maybe that's what happens this coming week. This was nothing spectacular. It didn't necessarily indicate any 
long-term storyline was forthcoming, but it was a good TV segment. The crowd responded to LA Knight well. They know his sayings, and it's a really good look for him coming out of WrestleMania if he's not on that show. Oh, it was so nice to have LA Knight back into our lives. Like when he came out and his music hit, I was like, finally, like I'm, I've been waiting for this. We haven't gotten anything in quite a while from LA Knight. And he's still over, still getting crowd reaction, still doing the stuff. For those who don't know, Silver King runs the drops on this show. But I wish I had the ability to display a, a yeah drop. Like, I would just be pounding that thing all, all the time. All you have to do is tell me. I add it to the board. We got 59 sounds here. I mean, we, I we need to add up. yeah to okay. the soundboard. But I want to be Dude, able to just. Any like, of these are yours. Don't I act like I like have, you know, full I know, dominion. I just, I want to. I, I, I just. It came Look, to man, me booking, while I was watching Chris, this segment. Yes. Yeah. Let me tell you something. Booking this shit is not easy. Hey, this booking stuff isn't easy, you know. Okay. So I need some help sometimes. All right. <laughs> all I get. So I kept thinking when we had New Day and LA not out together that we needed a yeah who off where we get yeah who yeah who, <laughs> like back and forth back yeah. and forth I feel like that would have really popped the crowd if we got that so I hope we could get that uh if we continue to do LA night and this moving forward both entertaining guys entertaining collections of people really enjoyed the segment match was fine like you said maybe we get LA night beating woods this week or something I don't know but just get LA night back on the screen because he makes entertaining things happen this was a good uh, candace LeRae fought piper niven nikki cross visibly stalked candace during her entrance and then joined her at ringside nikki tried helping only to get thrown into the barricade by piper which ended up actually helping candace because when she came back inside niven got caught distracted by LeRae for a deep roll-up victory this was not the end of the world but not letting piper take a pin in the chamber so her first loss could be eating a roll-up in a non-important match on Raw, that's just bad booking. This was the one of the deadest crowds I've ever heard in this moment. Like it was like it was bad for the night, as we've said a million times. But I like had to look up at my from my screen to make sure stuff was going on uh when this was happening. Like complete silence, which mm-hmm. was incredibly dis- disappointing. Everybody knows how much I love Piper and the, the potential and things they can do. But this this was like a low-card women's storyline, and it got the kind of reaction that that gets. So that was disappointing. It was just kind of whatever. I give it a bad. And the latest WrestleMania goes Hollywood vignette was Montez Ford and Bianca Belair doing Titanic with Ford dropping his phone off the boat. You know, the first one was good. This one was just really bad. It was short, unfunny. It wasn't even corny. I just thought it was straight up poorly executed. Well, what we liked about them is that they mostly reenacted the actual scene, mm-hmm. you know, like, like and, and put in like bits and pieces that were a little bit different. Like the Seth Rollins Joker dance, it takes like five minutes. Like that's the whole scene. This was just a completely different like <laughs> scene done yeah. at the front of the Titanic ship. So like that's it didn't connect with me like that. Like you go back to like John Cena and JBL doing the, you know, you can't handle the truth or Triple H doing Braveheart. Like they're largely doing the scene. That's what makes and the it lines. funny. Yeah. Yeah. That's what makes it funny. Uh, this was not not that great for that reason. No. And lastly, this is not really part of the good, the bad and the ugly segment, but I have nowhere else to put it. You mentioned Kevin Patrick and we're going to talk about him momentarily. But first, I just want you to hear this. This is the final play of the match. 
Thiago Almada will take Almada! Would you believe it? From 1-0 down, it's a brace from Thiago Almada in stoppage time. A late, late show from the World Cup champion. That is Kevin Patrick calling an Atlanta United match. I think it was their first match of the season, perhaps, this past week. The guy can call sports. So what the fuck is he doing in WWE? Why can't we get that kind of... I mean, you can't do that during a match when it's just normal wrestling happening. But ends of matches, big moments. Why can't this guy emote about wrestling like he does about soccer, about football? It's When I heard this, I couldn't believe it was the same human being. So clearly, Kevin Patrick has talent. And clearly, Chris, he is not cut out to be a play-by-play man for professional wrestling. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And... Maybe that's just the difference between calling a live sport where you don't know what's going to happen versus being in a scripted environment. But you're right. That, that, that sounds like a totally different guy. And Corey Graves made a comment uh, on Raw where he's like, go back. This isn't Atlanta United, you know, like, like calling on mm-hmm. kinds of stuff. So it, it really is a highlight of uh, the ability that he has, but just that we're not really seeing it in this environment. And also he doesn't have Corey Graves just constantly hounding him in the the play-by-play booth when he's calling a soccer match too. Yeah, for sure. Now, before we move to the final segment of today's show, let's take a quick look at the WrestleMania 39 card. Now that we've gone through another week of WWE TV, we now have four matches officially booked for the show. Undisputed WWE Universal Championship, Roman Reigns against Cody Rhodes, SmackDown Women's Championship, Charlotte Flair against Rhea Ripley, Raw Women's Championship, Bianca Belair against Asuka, and Brock Lesnar against Omos. And then we have a few matches that are basically booked, just not yet official. Seth Rollins versus Logan Paul, Edge versus Finn Balor, Bobby Lashley versus Bray Wyatt. And then we have a bunch of other matches that are likely, but they're still not 100% solidified. United States Championship, Austin Theory against John Cena, Women's Tag Team Championship, Becky Lynch and Lita, perhaps against Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler, Bailey versus Trish Stratus, the Men's Tag Team Championship, the Usos defending against Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens, the Intercontinental Championship, Gunther against Drew McIntyre and or Sheamus, and then something involving Rey Mysterio and Dominic Mysterio, either a singles match or possibly involving Santos Escobar and Damian Priest. So I ran that all down, Chris, to say that right there is 13 matches, five of which will feature part-timers, if you count Lesnar, including two title matches that some might argue could be used to feature younger talent. But what I will say is that 13-match card has both mid-card titles on the show after neither won last year. It has a non-title women's singles match, if that ultimately happens. And it has some big, big names. And there may well be a number of straight-up bangers on this card. So Lesnar-Lashley, the women's tag team booking, that may irk us. But top to bottom, this is a super strong WrestleMania card. It's very much a wrestling card too. Like there are part timers mm-hmm. in there, but it's not a part timer in the uh, in the championship match. You know, at the very top, Br- Brock at None this moment is but the yeah. Bro- Brock Brock is like at this moment he's not really a part timer. He's showing up almost every week anyway. Um, mm-hmm. He's been around for a bit. It's not like he just popped up. Really, the only one would be kind of Lita. I guess if you kind of as tag team cha- uh, tag team champion Trish, whatever they end up doing with with that. So and, well, and John Cena and um, Logan Paul as well. And and John Cena and Logan Paul, but Logan Paul is also again he's kind of 
he's the he's really the only celebrity i guess you count john cena technically but but he's the only celebrity match there's not a jackass thing this time mm-hmm. around john cena is clearly there to put over a young guy so like we're, we're fine with that you know like so that that is i do think a really solid card there, you know we typically think 14 15 is what they've done with these two nights and so we're, we're pretty close to filling this out i think yeah, I mean, there's very possible beyond what I mentioned, assuming all of those are what happened, especially the two women's matches at the end there that I mentioned. Um, that is either a complete card or there may be one or two matches potentially added. I really do think they should put the Andre and the women's battle royal one on each kickoff show. There's really no reason not to do that. Just get more people on the card. And I like when there's a kickoff show match. They they stop doing it for most pay-per-views and premium live events. That's Okay. But the big shows, I feel like there should still be at least one. Uh, Right now, notable wrestlers actively on TV who are notable, meaning like the bigger names, not on that card I just read. New Day, Street Profits, Ricochet, Braun Strowman, Liv Morgan, Raquel Rodriguez, Io Sky and Dakota Kai, and then Sheamus, unless he's in the Intercontinental title match. So it's really like, you know, two handfuls of people. Uh, And LA Knight. LA Knight, you can throw LA Knight on there as well. I mean, there's other people. I was just talking about the most prominent. Um, He's prominent to me, but that that's not a load of people missing the card. Correct. There's not a Bailey missing the card. Seamus will will probably be there. New Day, the the ones that stood out among what you said were Street Profits and New Day. Mm -hmm. You you figure, especially New Day, like they'll they'll do something with them. Maybe it's a segment with the maybe it's a segment with the Rock. Maybe it's something I I don't know, but uh, maybe maybe it's a kickoff match or something i don't know but i do think they'll probably get in there but you're right that's not you know and if sheamus makes it into the ic title match like that's not, there's nobody there you're like oh my god i can't believe this person isn't on the card and so that's a it's more about booking. it's more about the matches that a few matches that are made three or four that we would have changed the or you know changed shuffled the players uh the yes. two women's championship matches we would have changed um some of the other men, two of the men's matches, we would have changed those as well. So like, even, but, you know, but even it, if you did, even if you did Brock and Bobby, you still need to get Bray Wyatt on the card somewhere. Oh, you know what? Give so Bray like, Wyatt Omos. I don't care. <laughs> Just do a straight up switch there. And that works for me. <laughs> yeah. But okay, Chris, um, that's our look at WrestleMania 39, which means there's only one thing left on today's show. And that is the last word. So DJ take the needle and just drop it on the record. What? We gon' have a sp- popping in a second. That's why we always save the best cut last to make the scratch and niche for it like fresh cut grass. All right, we actually have two on today's show. Both are relatively quick. First, Patrick F. wrote him, who will become a WWE World Champion first, Montez Ford or Austin Theory? Now, if you asked me that question before Elimination Chamber, it would have been Theory, no doubt. But Ford showed out to such a significant degree in that match, you really do wonder what plans look like for him in 2023. Still, for me, Theory does seem to be on that Randy Orton track, and there's too many babyfaces needing title runs right now for Ford to be prioritized over him. So my answer is still Theory, but it's a lot closer than it was a month ago. To me, it was always going to be Theory. It hasn't really changed, and it's largely because he's had multiple, he's had the singles title several times already. And like you said, he's a heel. If you're a young guy trying to get a title, it's a lot easier to do that uh, as a heel than a face. So I'm still sticking with theory, but I do think both guys will get there. Also, Jackson Garrett wrote in. He said, there's probably a lot of people who have asked you guys who will buy WWE, but I want to know 
when do you think WWE will be sold? Well, Nick Khan said, I guess it was about a month ago that he expected a sale within a three-month period of time. And this is actually something I had been thinking about recently, Chris. It seems to me there's a reason that things have calmed down in the public forum around WrestleMania season. If NBC Universal is going to buy WWE, what better time to announce it than right before or even during WrestleMania weekend or, or immediately after, after it sets all those records? And if WWE is being bought by someone else, waiting a week or so after Mania would make a lot of sense for the same reason in terms of buying a product at its absolute you know, top peak in terms of value and prominence when they're in the news cycle. And if it is ultimately Saudi Arabia, which let's hope that's not the fucking case, the next event there looks to be in May. So similarly, an announcement around that would make sense. But again, I hope that's not the case. Point being, I would not be surprised if WWE is sold or at least a sale announcement is made at some point between April 1st and May 1st. Yeah, that's my window as well. Probably within a month or two after WrestleMania for all the reasons you said. And as well, a big reason they are doing it now and want to get it done now is because at the end of the year, you start, you begin the negotiations on the TV deals. Fox's mm -hmm. deal with uh, WWE started in October 2019. So, you know, the end of this year is the end of about four years. So that's when a year, one year left plus out is when, is when right. you start start those negotiations again. And so part of the pitch for someone to buy WWE is that, hey, the live rights are going to go up. You're about to make a lot more money through this. So you theoretically would want the sale to get done before then and want time to get through everything, do the transition. And so by the time everybody's in, everybody's kind of in place before you start that next media rights negotiation. So I'm with you month or two after WrestleMania is, is the window I'd be looking at right now. Well, I'm not saying month or two after. I'm saying the month of WrestleMania because for the very reason of a company would want the prominence of being in the news cycle with Mania. If it's NBC Universal doing mm -hmm. it during, it makes a lot of sense or right before to say, hey, this is what we just bought. Look at this you know, shiny new product that we now have. And if it's someone else, then doing it on the back end where you get to promote, hey, look at great business WWE's doing. We just bought them. Makes a lot of sense. And then again, if it's Saudi Arabia, which we sure sure hope it's not, um, if they do do an event in May, then doing it right around there makes sense. So yeah, I mean, I just think th this is the time with WrestleMania. It's pretty clear that things have died down and quieted down because of this. Now, who's leading? Who's going to ultimately buy it? I don't know. There's people saying that um, all these networks now don't really have much interest because they're tightening their budgets. Perhaps that's true. People keep talking about Endeavor. They would need a huge financier to make that happen. Uh, and obviously Saudi Arabia is out there as well. So I just don't think anyone really knows uh, there is a best case scenario. There is a worst case scenario. And there's a lot in between. And we will certainly, Chris, find that out uh, in the coming month or two months, as you said. But that wraps up this edition of the Getting Over wrestling podcast, a reminder of what is to come here on the show this week on Wednesday. We will be back with an NXT and New Japan episode talking Mercedes, Monet, and Jay White coming out of Battle in the Valley. We'll also do a mini preview for NXT Roadblock, but that is just a TV special. Nevertheless, it gets a separate episode on Wednesday because on Thursday, we will be giving you an AEW Revolution 
ultimate preview. The plan as of right now is for vintage Chris Vanini to join me on that show. And then on Saturday, as soon as revolution goes off the air, we will have an AEW revolution instant analysis podcast one week from now, same bat time, same bat channel, your next WWE episode. So a ton still to come this week here on the getting over wrestling podcast. Let's wrap things up with a reminder that this podcast is all about Defy. So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop those five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. And do not forget to follow us on Twitter for episode drops, news analysis highlights, and so much more. You can do that at Getting Over. Cast. Thanks once again to Vintage Chris Benini for joining yours truly, the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. And thanks to all of you getting overheads for listening to today's show. It is now time for us to sign off and time for me to leave you with just three final words. Bye for now. <laughs>